morning. This morning I am sitting at the Hermosa Cemetery. Sitting here on purpose. I've had the privilege of doing many memorial services here. Uh, over there you can't see it. It's a tombstone for Tom and Edie Barrick. Ah, there's Adela's Perriman's service over there. The chapel right behind you that I've done many services in. Dear Evelyn Patrick and her husband Pat are buried back here behind me somewhere. Uh, you know, I'm here because our passage in Genesis talks about this. See, Jacob, the patriarch. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is about ready to die. He's about ready to be buried. He's about ready to, to, to call it quits. He knows his time is up. He's going to call his son in, and he's going to be a blessing to his son and his grandsons. And so I thought it would be appropriate that I begin the service thinking about this and challenging us to think about something in our lives. When I do a memorial service, sometimes I read a poem, and it's called The Dash Between the Lines. And, and as, as I read this poem, right underneath the camera, there, there's a tombstone. His father was born in 1908, and he died in 1993. The mother was born in 1918, and she died in 1982. And in between, they both have something in common. They both have a beginning number and ending number, but they also have this dash in between the two lines separating the beginning and the end of their life. And so I read this poem when I do memorial services a lot. It goes like this. It says, The graveside service is over. Everyone had left, and, and I'm gone, and I'm the only one that's there. I began to read the names and the dates, and they were chiseled here on every stone. It shows whether it's a mom or a dad, a father or a mother, baby or a son. The dates are different, and the amount's the same. There are two dates on every tomb. It was then that I noticed something. It was just a simple little line. It was a dash between the dates. And the dash, it's stood there for time. All at once it dawned on me how important that little line, the dates placed there belong to God. But the line is yours and it is mine. It is God who gives us precious life and it is he who takes it away. But the line between he gives us to do with what we may. We know he's written the first date down, each and every one, and we'll sure he'll write the last one down. For that date must soon come. Yes, the hands will write the last date down, quite soon, perhaps for some. But upon the line between the dates, I trust he'll write, Well done. Well done. This morning in our passage in Genesis chapter 48, Jacob is going to do three things. Three things. One is, is he's going to bless the next generation. He's going to call his grandsons, and he's going to call his sons, and he's going to give a blessing to them. Then second, he's going to be generous. He's going to include some people who, who aren't part of his lineage into his lineage as if they were sons. And the third thing he's going to do is he's going to pray for people. He's going to pray for his kids. So my challenge for us this morning will be simple. I want you to think of a younger person. I want, I want you to pray earnestly for a younger person that you can adopt. That, that you can call on by name and you can pray for by name and you can lay your hand on and you can say, I, I want to bless you. Pray for a younger person that you can be generous to. 
And that person can be five years younger. They can be 50 years younger. Find someone to invest your life into. Third, find someone to pray for. Find, find someone to be generous toward with your times, your talents, your treasures. And find somebody to pray for. Because, because that's really what it's about. It's about you passing on the blessing. See, see you have been blessed by God. You have been, you've been given great benefits by God. You're here today. You're here to celebrate. You're here to worship. You're here to give. And, and, and we just celebrated Thanksgiving and you, you gave thanks for what God has given you. But it isn't given to you just simply so that you could absorb it. The good things that God has given you has been given to you so that you can pass that blessing on to other people. Let's watch and see this morning as we unpack the story of Genesis. Let's watch and see how God uses Jacob to bless the next generation. And it is my prayer that God will use you as well to do the very same thing. Okay, Paul, you go. Take over now. You got a good sermon to preach. Enjoy. That was a long intro to the sermon, wasn't it? You know, it was fun going to the Hermosa Cemetery and, and, and one, remembering the people that have had an impact on my life and the people that I've been able to do memorial services and graveside services for. But but that was just a reminder. Those are just headstones. And I pray this morning that you are a marker in somebody else's life. And so you're going to want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 48. We're going to walk through this passage. We're going to walk through verse by verse as we look at it. And, the, and in context, in context, we're at the end of the book of Genesis. We've been walking with Jacob since chapter 25. He was introduced to us. Him and his twin brother Esau, they, they came on the scene and there was conflict right away. And pretty soon we see that the Jacob is kind of a deceiver. He, he goes and he, he steals the birthright from his brother Esau. And that causes strife. And then pretty soon he deceives um, dad and he steals the uh, um, blessing as well. And that causes chaos and ends up going up. And, and, and in there, he, Jacob was a good deceiver, but, but Laban was a pro. And um, so Laban got Joseph... I mean, Jacob married to multiple wives and ended causing lots of chaos. They fled Uncle Laban a couple of years later, and, and then they lived outside of Canaan for a while, and there was a famine, and, and Joseph was there, and, and Joseph moved to Egypt. Actually, he was sold to Egypt, and he came, and pretty soon there's a uniting of the family. And now comes time for Jacob. He's been in our lives for months now as we've been walking through the Bible, and, and as he comes, we're going to read the very first sentence, very first verse of Genesis chapter 48. It says, Jacob lived 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. He lived to be 147 years old. Wow. That's pretty old, huh? Some of you, some of you who are in your 60s feel old, right? How about you in your 70s? How do you feel? Okay. You got nothing on here, Jacob. And, and imagine the aches and pains that he had compared to the aches and pains that you have. You know, there's a story of a, um, a lady who came up and saw an old saw a guy walk rocking in his rocking chair and he looked old he looked like he'd been through a lot of life and she walks up to him and and she says excuse me excuse me sir um you know you you just look so happy sitting there to this man who who apparently looked really like like life had been long in his living for a long time and she says what is your secret for such a happy life and he says I smoke three packs of cigarette a day. I, I drink I drink a case of whiskey a week. I eat fatty foods and, and I never exercise. She goes, she goes, what? And he goes, that's amazing. And, and she says, you don't mind me asking, how old are you? 
and he says, I'm 26. Right? And so, so he, he already looked like he'd been run over by a truck with life. And, and imagine Jacob. He's 147 years old, and he has seen a lot. In fact, in the previous chapter, he tells Pharaoh, which is a fascinating thing. And Pharaoh, he's the king of Egypt. He, he's thought of as the most important person in all of the world. And, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. The person, the, the shepherd, the, the guy who wandered in a tent, and that guy ends up blessing Pharaoh, but he says, my life has been filled with hardship. And it was the wife that he dearly loved died giving birth to his son. His other son, he thought, had been dead for years. And, and the turmoil of his other sons, one, one causing chaos, having an, a, having an affair with his wife, and the other one, the other one, um, you know, killing people, marauding in violence, and so he has been troubled with his kids. Egypt, and, and we're going to find something very funny about him. He tends to be an emotional guy, but here he is in chapter 48. He's making funeral arrangements. Can I just say something as your pastor? You guys need to do that. doesn't matter how old you are. The older people smile. Yeah, the younger people. doesn't matter how old you are, and, and Trevon Williams dad is here and what a blessing it is but he's going to give me an amen on it really helps doesn't it if if people tell you what they want before they pass oh see you got that amen you know we've done we've done funerals where you just don't know what they want you don't know do they have a favorite bible verse do they have what's going on and it really does help if you all think about that before my friend steve was he said paul and he goes to another church. Paul, I want you to do my service. And, and you can coordinate it with these other pastors, but I want you to be there, and I want you to coordinate it. And this is what I want you to do. And so I'm going to bring a canoe, because I know Steve loves to canoe. I'm going to bring some books, because I know he loves to read. But, but just as your pastor, just as a sidebar, sit down with somebody and let them know what you want at your memorial service. Let them know what you want at your funeral service. Let them know. Make arrangements of where you're going to be buried. Make those arrangements ahead of time. Because your family is going, well, he's going to miss most of you, right? Some of you, your family is going to say, yay! I'm just joking. Um, so, you know, make sure that you, Trevon, no wiggling your head. Um, make sure that your family knows your arrangements. Jacob had lived for 17 years in Egypt. That's important. He lived for 147 years. Listen to him plead not to be born in, not to be buried in Egypt. As the time of his death drew near, Jacob called for his son. His son, Joseph, is second in command in all of Egypt. He called for his son, and he said, Please do me a favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring my last request. Do not bury me in Egypt. I don't want to be here. This is the last place in the world I want to be buried. Don't do it. And you think maybe I'm being a little little dramatic news. When I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph promised, I will do as you ask. Swear that you will do it. He insisted. Joseph gave an oath and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. Do you think at all that Jacob wanted to be buried in Egypt? Let me see if I made that clear. No, he didn't, he didn't want it, right? It's hot in Egypt. He doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. There's nothing but sand in Egypt. He doesn't want that. There, there are pyramids and, and other things. And more importantly, the blessing of God was with him in Bethel, and where he heard God and where he connected with God, where his wife 
is buried, where his ancestors are buried, to his family, his spiritual family. He doesn't want to be buried in Egypt. So he's making arrangements. There are a group of nurses, hospice nurses, they interviewed people as they were in hospice. You know, hospice is where you go, and, and it's kind of the last thing you do before you pass on, and hospice nurses interviewed these people, what they regret, what they wanted more about life, and they said, I wish I had the courage to live true to myself. Not how others expected me. And apparently there are some people that think that, you know, I I have the certain role, but I really wanted to express myself, and they didn't. Other nurses said, I wish I didn't work so hard. People working 60, 70 hours a week, they know that their kids are growing up, and they missed all of their kids' childhood, and, and then they get busy, and they miss their grandchildren, and their relationships are shallow, and then they retire, and they don't know what to do. They wish they didn't work so hard. Third is they wish they had the courage to express my feelings. The courage to say, I love you. The courage to say, you mean something to me. The courage to to express admiration for other people. I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I know, I'm going to talk to the men for a second. Men, you've got to tell the people in your life you love them. Just don't, just don't, just don't. Serve and say, well, you know, I fixed the car, and that should communicate to you, I love you. The weeds, that should communicate to you, I love you. you got to say those words, men. You've got to express it. You've got to be and show emotion to those people that are around you. Express, especially to your children, you've got to tell your kids you love them. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Imagine these sick people being taken care of by hospice nurses. Imagine them not having anybody come and visit them. Imagine them living in the room all alone. Imagine them living by themselves because they've been so busy centered on themselves that they don't have any friends. I wish I had let myself be happier. Ouch. I pray that that isn't true of any of you. I pray that, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he fills you with this deep-seated undying joy and happiness. You know, the world is filled with a lot of troubles. The world is filled with a lot of things that, that, that make us angry and mad. But, but inside of our hearts, we've got to really, our faith has to be bigger than our fear. Our faith has to be bigger than our fear because our fear drives us into anger, into bitterness, into rage. And, and our faith says, you know what? God's in control. If the book of Genesis has taught us anything, has it taught us that God puts people where he needs them at the right time, at the right moment. God used, have been used for purposes that are greater than them. God can use you and he can use your friends. Open to what he's doing in your life and to others. Let's go back to the text. Now we're in verse um, 3, I think. Oh, we're in chapter 48, verse 1. One day, not long after this, not long after, after Jacob said, to Joseph, please, please, don't let me die. Any, don't let me be buried here. This is the last place. I don't want this sand over the top of my body. Don't do it. Not long after that, word came to Joseph. Hey, your father is failing rapidly. So Joseph went to go visit his father and took with him two sons. Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to see you. So... You can really picture this as a really old man. And so Jacob gathered up his strength and he sat up in his bed. And Jacob said in his weak voice to his son, 
God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. He said, I will make you fruitful, and I will multiply your descendants, and I will multiply, wait, and I will make you a multiple of nations. And I will give you this land of Canaan as your descendants after you, as an everlasting possession. Listen, Jacob is on his death, and, and what is the first thing that happens to him? First thing that happens to him is this. He remembers the promises of God. Jacob remembers the promises of God on his life. And he remembers when he was fleeing, when he left his dad's house and he was fleeing, and he remembers that solitude night when, when he had a rock as a pillow. And he remembers the promises that God gave him then, and he retells that story again and again about what happened at Bethel slash Lutz. He tells his God story. Each one of us here in this room probably have a God story. Every single one of us here have a story in which we have a place in which we encountered God. We, we first met God, and, and if you don't have that God story in it, Today is a day in which you can go, you know, I don't have a connection with God. I, I've, never, I've never accepted Jesus Christ, but amongst the Christmas trees and amongst God's people, I want to come to know him. I want this place to be a place where my God story starts. I remember where my God story started. It was up in the north end of San Bernardino off of Highland Avenue, just west of the 30-215 freeway. I drove by it a couple of months ago, and now it is just this burnt-out shell of a building. It's pretty disgusting to see what happened to my God story. But, but I remember where I was when God first encountered me. I remember the blessings of, of the praying that prayer, Lord Jesus, if, if, if for some reason you haven't come into my heart, come. I remember that place. Do you remember that place? Do you have that God story? Other times, God answers prayer in your life. Other times, God heals you, God, God restores you, and, and God interacts in, in a personal way in your life, and you have another God story. And, and what impresses me most about Jacob is he remembers the God story in his life, and then he shares that God story again and again. He is 147 years old. He has nothing to prove. All he has is the gratefulness that God spoke to him. Part of my prayer for you this morning, then, is that you would always have God stories in your life. The first thing you speak about is how God is working in and out. It should be something that we proclaim. We just did Thanksgiving. Um, the Sunday before New Year's, we're going to have tables in this room, and we're going to be sharing what has God done in your life this year. And, and around the tables for communion, special communion service, we did it last year, we're going to be able to tell our God stories for 2018, how God interacted and how God answered your prayer. But Jacob, the very first thing he does is he tells his God story. If you've got a God story, let's make this an application this week. I, I want to challenge you to share it. I want to challenge you to share how God has worked in your life in the last month, in the last year, in your lifetime. I was just speaking to a young gal this morning. God story. And you know what? She has a God story now. And in part, her growth spiritually is because of you. Because of you accepting, embracing her and her family into the church. Let's continue in the passage. Now, I am claiming, now, Jacob does this great thing. I am claiming as my own sons, these two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. But any children born to you in the future will be your own. 
They, 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 will be your, they will inherit your land within the territories of their borders. But Ephraim and Manasseh, they are mine. Okay, they are. These are not young kids. These are not little tots. These are kids that were born in Egypt before Jacob ever arrived. They're probably 21, 22 years old. They're in their early 20s, probably. Most likely. Okay, that's important for what happens later. You can see they are born here in the land before I arrive. We know he's been there 17 years at least. But the key point here is Jacob adopts those two kids. I was talking with someone else this morning about this message. And, and, and the challenge for us is thinking that this is only for old people. This message is only for those who are over 50, over 60, over 70, for Trevon and Patricia at all. But, but the, the, what my application is, find somebody in your life who's a little bit younger than you. Not a lot, just a little bit younger that you can adopt into your spiritual family. See, Jacob adopts Joseph's sons. He gives them a special place in his heart. I want to challenge you to give somebody a special place in your heart. The youth just aren't for Trevon and Patricia to take care of. The children is just not for Donna to watch. I want to challenge us to be people who, rather, if we're 20 years old, to then invest our life into somebody who's 16. If we're 16 years old, to invest our life into somebody who's 14. I want you to find somebody who's younger than you and invest and pour your life and give your heart over to. He does an amazing thing here. He not only says, these kids are mine, but then he's generous with them. Long ago, as I was returning from Padam Aram, Rachel died in the land of Canaan. We were still on the way, some distance from Ephraim, so great sorrow buried her. With great sorrow, I buried her beside the road of Ephraim. Uh, look at that. That is exactly how an old person speaks, doesn't it? I got this blessing, and I'm going to bless your kids. Oh, let me go down this memory lane here. And he goes down this memory lane of his wife, Rachel. And then he gets back, and he, he looks at the kids, and he says, Are these Yes, Joseph said. These are the sons that God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, Bring them closer so I can bless them. Now again, these are not little tots. These are 20, 21-year-old kids, men. Jacob was half blind because of his age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought the boys close to him, and Jacob kissed and embraced them. And then Jacob thought, wait, and then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again. But now God has let me see your children too. Joseph moved the boys who were at their ground, and he bowed his face to the ground. And then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh to Jacob's right hand. I have that illustrated there, his right, and he puts the one kid there, and he puts he puts. Um, Manasseh over here, and he puts Ephraim over there because Ephraim was the older one. He wants the older one to get the blessing of the right hand. And, and, then, and then, pretty soon, Dad does something odd. But Jacob crossed his hands, and he reached out to the boys, and he went like this. He's old. He goes slow. Okay, I'm just joking. He goes like that. Crossed his arms, and he reached out to lay his hands on the boys' heads. And he put his right hand on the head of Ephraim as though he, was, though he was the younger boy, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, 
though he was the firstborn. Tradition would have it that Ephraim, firstborn son, would get the blessing of the right hand, and Manasseh would get the blessing of the second. But, but Jacob reverses it. And, 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 and you're going to watch, and, and Joseph does exactly what all of us have done. And things aren't going right, and so instead of praying, instead of accepting the blessing, we get worried about what had happened, because that's exactly what happens. But right now, Jacob has to pray. See, the young man, he, he connects them to his spiritual heritage. This is huge. Huge, church. Here, here, we have, here we have a couple of young men. They're born in Egypt. They're born in the world. Where they're born in wealth. They're born in, they're born in privilege. And, and they represent, Egypt represents the world. And so we have these men born in the world with all the trials, with all the temptations of the world. And what does Jacob do? He connects them to their spiritual heritage. He connects them to the promises of Abraham. Isn't that amazing when we think about that? Because isn't that what we're supposed to do? Take people out of the world, share the good news, share the God story in our life, and move them and help pray for them that they would heritage? Isn't that, isn't that what the gospel is about? Isn't that what about telling people about Jesus as our hope? Is that we find these people and we share our God stories with them and we pray over them that, that we move them out of Egypt into the promises and the heritage that you have inherited the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a great picture of this exact thing happening. See, he connected a young person with a spiritual heritage, and that's what I want you to do. I want you to think about somebody who's younger than you, and I want you to tell them your God story. And I want you to do it this week. I don't want you to do it in a month from now. I want you to do it this week. I want you to tell them your God story. Tell them about how, how God came revealed himself to you then pray, pray that they would move from Egypt into a promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, into, into, the, into the recognition that Jesus died for our sins, and the fact that this baby boy that we're going to celebrate, he was, he was God incarnate, and he came and he died for us. Share the story of the gospel with them, and help connect them to the spiritual heritage you have. And then he blessed Joseph, wait, then he blessed Joseph, and he said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God whom, who has been my shepherd all along this life, to the, who has redeemed me from all of the harm, may he bless these boys. May they persevere. Wait, may they persevere my name in the names of Abraham and Isaac, and may their descendants, and may their descendants... Multiply greatly. See this. Look at the titles of God right here. I want you, I'm going to highlight some things so you can see it. May the God before whom Abraham, Isaac, and I walked. The God who is my shepherd. Not just, not just God Almighty, but God who, before my grandfather Abraham walked, the God in whom my father Isaac walked, the God in whom I walked, the shepherd. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is a, both a provider. A shepherd is one who leads you to the green pastors but the shepherd one is also the one who protects you and keeps you from going and the angel who redeemed me may that god the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of the promise the god of the protector the god of the redeemer may he bless these boys when you call upon god you're you're just not calling on an abstract 
deity that's out there nowhere'sville and, and we're out there he's out there in space and we're on this little planet earth you're talking to a god that has interacted and and, and intersected with human history he has you he has he has led you to the green pastures he has provided for you he has redeemed you he calls you by name see he's the god of my fathers the protector the provider and the redeemer when you pray to God, you are praying to the one who, who's able to protect you, able to provide, able to redeem you. You're praying to that God. May they be connected. May these kids be connected. And so, I want you to think of a young person in your life. This, for parents, I want you to think of your kids. For, for young people who have kids, I want you to think of your future kids, or I want you to think of those young people in your life. I want you to think about this. Say, what can we pray for the young people in life? Ready? Pray that they would be connected. And that when they're connected, they would stay connected. That they would never walk far from God. Pray that they would be connected to the promises of God. The promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises that Jesus said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. The promises that God is love, and God loves you, and God forgives you. That, that those promises would be true. Pray that they would stay connected to the promises. Pray that he would be the provider for them. That everything that they need, he would provide for them. Pray that he would protect them. That's what Jesus does for us. He, 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 Jesus, when he's praying for his disciples, he says, from the evil one. Pray, pray for protection of your kids. And then pray that they would prosper. Isn't that what you want for your kids? Isn't that what you want for those who, who follow that, that they would prosper in everything that they do? Or do you really want a bunch of kids who fail school? A bunch of kids who, who, who don't have anything to show for their hard work? You want kids who are going to be connected to the promises, the provisions, and the protections, and that God would prosper them. And that's exactly what Jacob prayed for Joseph's kids. And Joseph was upset because this is what happens. Remember? Remember Jacob went like this, and Joseph didn't hear the prayer. And Joseph, Joseph asked the question. He says, he says, hey, hey, Dad, you placed your hands on the wrong head. And, and, and he said, no. This one, and so he tried to correct Dad, if you see that. But the dad said, no, I know. I know what I did, son. See, I had to get myself out of bed. And I know these men are here. But I'm sensitive what God is doing. Manasseh will become a great people. But his younger brother, he will become even greater. And his descendants will become the multitude of the nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day, saying, the people of Israel, when they give a blessing, they will say, may God make you prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In that way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Dun, 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 dun. And Jacob was generous. And Jacob was generous. He gave beyond what was expected. That's it. Or you can pray for somebody. I love Jacob at this chapter. He's, he's praying for people that are younger for them. He's adopting them and he's giving them his heart. And he's being generous. He's including them in, in the inheritance of Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Joseph. And he's including them as if they were one. Every single one has somebody in our life that we can adopt. Somebody in our life that we can live a legacy for. 
somebody in our life that we can pray for continually. And so here's the answer to the prayer. I want you to give your heart to them. That's the hardest part. Giving your heart to somebody who might step on it, someone who might reject it. Church, I want you to be, be a people that really seriously think about how am I going to give my heart to these people? And intentionally and purposefully give your heart to a younger person. Bless them in prayer. Actually, put your hands, if you can, on that person. Bless them in prayer. And then be generous to them. Give more than you expect. Give more than they think, right? Christmas, and, and, and we celebrate what God gave to us, and we, as Christians, need to be generous to others. And we need to give more than has been given to us to these people who, they live in Egypt. They're lost. They live in Egypt, they're lost, and they need to be attached to the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how do they get there? They get there when each one of you decide to seriously take God's word as it is and invest and leave a legacy for the next generation. You guys ready to be legacy builders for those who are coming behind us? Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for this opportunity builders to invest in those people in our lives that you have put there. Lord, may we, we pray for those who are lost, those young people that people in this church know that are living in Egypt. They're attracted to all the temptations, Lord, of Egypt, to the, to the glittering gold, Lord, and the beauty of the surroundings. Lord, I pray for each one of us as we now begin to pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you would use us to bring them into the promises, to share our stories of you working in our lives. Lord, so many of us need to speak well of what you've done. So thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to step out in faith and follow Jacob's example. In your name we pray. Amen.